Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. to this podcast. Be aware, this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humour at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is episode 510. I am Immortal Alexander. Hey, I'm Jeanette Andromeda. And today we are interviewing illustrator Brian Coldrick. Brian was recommended to us by our friend over at Shadows at the Door, Mark Nixon. And next up, we have a short story by Immortal Alexander. And then we're going to go right into the interview. Hey, everybody. This is Immortal Alexander here to perform a short story entitled dusty documents this is inspired by one of our interviews works uh, it's brian coldrick's series behind you the text that goes along with the illustration is in the old study behind a bookcase he found a door on an exterior wall three floors up now he wanted a key January 1st, 1939. This is the journal of Professor Edward T. Scott. Today, I rifled through my late colleague's office, looking for unfinished works, when I stumbled upon a box of dust-covered files. They were not his, which I found very odd. They were labeled Top Secret, property of Dr. Marcus Nixione of the Institute for Paranormal Research. My deceased colleague's name was Dr. Foltzler. He would never entertain the idea of following someone else's research. If it wasn't his idea, it was not worth a moment of his time. As I rifled through the dusty research papers, I came across a file labeled the Relic of Downtown Terryville. Clipped to the front of the file was a photo of Dr. Nixione. He was a thin man who wore spectacles and had even thinner, greasy black hair. How unsightly. The document mentioned an old apartment building in Terryville that had been preserved as an historical landmark. As it was simply an apartment building, I found myself puzzled as to why it was given such status. There was nothing in the town records that indicated any historical significance to the town or the country. Each document in this report mentioned a door and a key. The documents were all typed, but there were also strange markings scribbled by hand on each page that for the life of me I could not decipher. 
March 12th, 1939. I called one of my colleagues at Yale and asked about the report, as it seemed to have originated from his office. The date on the folder and each of the documents was December 1892. Not a single person at my friend's office had even heard of Dr. Marcus Nixione. What a strange turn of events. But I was now compelled to understand the meaning of these documents. I mailed a copy of the documents to my colleague at Yale and awaited a response. April 4th. 1939. I finally received a correspondence from my colleague, a Dr. Daniel Fortino from Yale. He said that the documents did originate from his office, but he had never heard of the Institute for Paranormal Research. Curious. One thing of note was he did recognize a few of the strange characters drawn on the documents. He could not recall what language they were written in, but could make out the words key, open, and gate. One of his good friends was an archaeologist who had recently discovered an ancient tomb in Iraq with similar writings. This was getting stranger and stranger by the moment. November 13th, 1939. I had finally drummed up the nerve and went to investigate that old apartment building in Terryville. I had called ahead and asked for permission from the current owners to investigate. They were a bit hesitant at first and informed me that the building was in a slight state of disrepair, that it was a little bit dusty. I did not mind this. If I could stand a box full of dusty old documents, I could stand a few cobwebs and spiders. Apparently... They weren't even renting the place out. How very odd. They begrudgingly agreed after I stated I was from a university and that I was conducting research about the history of the town. I made that part up, but they seemed to buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. When I arrived, the caretaker handed me the keys but refused to join me inside. He gave me some excuse about feeling under the weather. How convenient. Upon entering, I was smacked with a most pungent aroma that reminded me of hot sulfur. I say this because my aunt, on one occasion, had left a carton of eggs in the stove instead of the refrigerator. She was elderly and confused. When she went to warm up the oven to bake me some cookies, the whole house was filled with a most unpleasant odor. We all gagged and opened every window and door to air out the offensive stench. It took hours to dissipate. When I reached the second floor of the building via the stairwell, the smell seemed to die down a bit. I had my coat sleeve covering my nose and mouth to keep out the smell until I finally found a large window that I cracked open wide to let in some fresh air. When I continued to ascend the staircase, I noticed that some loose papers had been strewn about all over the stairs. There was a slight breeze that came from upstairs, and as I drew closer, I saw where the papers were coming from. The door to a room on the third floor was slightly ajar, and the papers flew out of the crack, 
a few at a time. I bent down and picked up one of the papers and noticed it had symbols drawn all over it that were eerily similar to those drawn on the dusty documents. When I stood back up, I noticed the sign on the door which read, 3H, Nixione. I cracked it open and revealed a dimly lit apartment adorned with ugly checkered furniture. A slight breeze came in from an open window, which greatly reduced the stench. There was an old couch, a kitchenette, a small bathroom, and a bedroom, which strangely seemed in a better state than the rest of the apartment. If I didn't know any better, I would say that someone had slept here recently. The only thing that deterred me from believing this idea was the sheets of the bed being covered in a strange, soot-like substance. In the corner of the bedroom was another door. When I entered it, I was presented with some sort of old study. There were dust-covered books about the occult strewn about the room, some of them torn to bits with strange scratches on the covers. There was also a large bookshelf set just below a half-circle window. Hung on the wall by the bookshelf was a portrait of Dr. Nixione. It was strange, but I just noticed how dark his eyes were. They seemed different in the photograph than from the file, and for some reason they felt as though they stared directly at me. I continued to stare at the image until I felt something tap me on the shoulder. I turned my head slowly and saw the largest spider I had ever encountered in my life making its way down my shoulder. I yelped and accidentally kicked one of the dusty volumes clear across the room. The spider scurried away in a hurry and disappeared under a pile of books. At that point, I was not sure if I should stay a moment longer in this dreadful place. That was until I heard a strange click followed by a drawn-out creak. Apparently, the book I had punted had slammed into the bookshelf, which caused it to reveal a secret. This was very exciting indeed. I rushed over to see what was behind it, but upon revealing its secret, I found myself quite perplexed. Behind the bookshelf was a doorway... It was covered with the same strange writing from the dusty documents and was adorned with an even stranger keyhole. I mean, the door was flushed to the outside of the building, so it couldn't lead anywhere. Could it? No. All I needed was a key. I searched and searched the study, but to no avail. I did get scratched by a stray cat, that had made its home in this filthy place while rifling through the many books in search of the key. I had hoped it would be hidden in a handmade cutout, but alas, 
was nowhere to be found. I was about to leave when I turned and took one last look. I peered at the top of the bookshelf to see if perhaps the key was tucked on high. To my horror, it was only it was grasped firmly in the hands of some foul creature. It looked like a man, but not. I did not chance a second look. I ran. I ran all the way down the stairs, all the while I could hear howling and screeching just behind me. As I quickly descended the stairs, the air became hotter and more foul. I barely got out of that place, that hell, in one piece. That thing, whatever it was, had grabbed a hold of my hair and was pulling out a sizable chunk of it. I slammed the door behind me when I left, and I did not look back. February 9th, 1940. The oddest thing about my encounter was that the creature, its face, it looked just like that portrait of Dr. Nixione, but naked and gaunt. Its eyes glowed in an inhuman green that pierced my very soul. Whatever that thing was guarding, I had no interest in knowing. I did not dare speak of this to anyone. But I had to write it all down to exercise that evening from my tired mind. That face and the glowing red key in its claw-like hand haunts me. It is burned into my mind, and it is all I see when I close my eyes. Perhaps that's what my late colleague Dr. Fortler had seen. Perhaps that's why he jumped out of the top floor of our office. Either way, I still feel like I am being watched, and I have strange dreams about that study. And what lies beyond that door behind the bookshelf? Thank you for listening. And now on to the interview. This is the Ninth Story Podcast, in case we didn't introduce ourselves earlier. But more importantly, we're introducing Brian Caldrick. Hello. Hello, Brian. <laughs> How are things? Good to, good to talk to you. Uh, it is fantastic to talk to you. I have so many questions for you, just like just as one artist to another. But I'm gonna try and like uh, keep it somewhat focused on the storytelling aspect of what you do before I start harassing you about all the other things I have questions about. Sure. Um, well, f- feel free to go wildly off topic uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> so, for our uh, audience's benefit, Brian, I want you to tell everybody where you're hailing from right now. Uh, well, I'm calling from uh, Berkhamsted in uh, Hertfordshire in, in, in the UK, but I'm originally from, from Ireland, but I've been living here for about uh, six and a half years now. Nice. How do you like it? It's, it's very nice. It's lovely. It's about like an hour into London, but I'm near enough for there to be fields with deer and other things living in them. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a nice spot. That's awesome. And what brought you to the UK? 
Uh, oh, a, a lady did. Oh, uh, rather um, uh, clichédly. Although she, she, she's Irish as well, she was just already here, so uh, I, I had to follow her, follow her over. So uh, I've been here since. I think that's a good reason to to travel. Yeah, I mean, uh, it probably is a little bit uh, coincidental that the sort of Irish economy crashed like a month after I left, but that wasn't the main reason I left, and I, I don't think it had anything to do with me leaving. I can, I can understand that. <laughs> um, so um, you are an illustrator for a lot of things, by the looks of it. And... Uh, yeah, anything and any, any anything and everything anyone is willing to uh, hire me for, really. <laughs> and just some of the bullet points, like the one, the main thing that we like contacted you because of was because of your series "Look Behind You," which um, Mark Nixon, whom you did poster art for once upon a time, was like, "You should interview Brian. I would love to hear from him." Um... Oh, very nice of him. <laughs> and then, as I was kind of looking through your various websites. I was like, oh, this you do like character creation. And then also, wait, what is this about Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done a few little bits of, uh, of, of concept work for Doctor Who. Um, that is slightly ne nepotistically. That's what my, my girlfriend uh, works on, the prosthetic special effects for Doctor Who. So oh. that's how I ended up doing that. I, th I I mean, anything in the film industry is kind of like, hey, I know this person who does that, and we always hire our friends because we trust them. <laughs> yeah, so. it's a nice, it's a good sort of scene. I mean, it's people work crazy hours and uh -huh. crazy hard and uh, and maybe don't get the same sort of ex exposure as, as an artist in a gallery, but uh, the work people put in is incredible. So it's nice to be involved in a tiny little way. Yeah. <laughs> So um, just as like a basic overview, can you tell us a little bit about the, the spectrum of illustration that you have been doing lately? Um, oh, well, I suppose originally it was more, uh, I definitely do sort of relatively lighthearted cartoonish uh, stuff, but for editorial, for uh, like um, I've done storyboard work and um, like character design and anything and everything but it was generally more I'd say fairly colorful and, and fun but uh, what what got your eye and what I've kind of got more interest for over the last year or two is um, a sort of series of more spooky sort of slightly less colorful and slightly creepy work which is just a little uh, self-started little originally I had the idea that I wanted to do a webcomic uh, but um, it seemed like a good way to get around having a having a to plan out stories was just mm -hmm. to restart it each week. So mm -hmm. I just do a, a series of illustrations where each one is implied to be from a larger continuing story that you can just fill in the blanks yourself. And also, I'm 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 sure like yourselves a fan of spooky films and mm -hmm. stories and things like that. So it was a, a nice change of flavor for a while from cutesy characters. Mm -hmm. There's still a very uh, playful element to your art. It kind of feels almost like a like a Sunday comics uh, type of thing, as far as the yeah, actual. Yeah, uh, they always tend to have a little bit of humor, or at least the majority of them have a little bit of humor, and, and I kind of think quite warmly towards them. It's it's nice to hear from some people that they find them creepy, but um, whatever 
is creepy to some people it's just totally lost its edge by the time I'm finished uh, staring at it on Photoshop <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, we get a little distant from the actual creep factor of these things sometimes as fans of horror and and spooky stories in general I'm I'm thinking uh, there's one particular piece you had done that I just it made me laugh uh, was it's the girl with the puzzle piece and she's trying to put something together and then behind her there's this like half put together fleshless body just staring at her over her shoulder like are you gonna finish it and yeah yeah <laughs> sort of uh, she doesn't realize the puzzle is also putting together some sort of ghoul behind her but uh yeah I, I, that's one of my one of my favorites all right I think that's quite fun they usually have a little bit of uh, some sort of wry sense of humor to them, even if some sort of gross uh, gross murder is about to happen. I think we're, we're all probably in the same uh, headspace that we've read enough sort of horror stories and um, seen enough horror films that there's, there's a lot of humor that runs through them and a lot of sort of um, pleasant familiarity with the formula of something terrible so that the terribleness of the thing itself um, it sort of loses its its harshness and then becomes somehow uh, kind of warm and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So the uh, for the benefit of the audience, what we're talking right about right now is Brian's uh, Look Behind You series. Can you tell us about the genesis of that and, and what it's all about? Um, yeah, well, it was just, it was about two years ago. Well, maybe not two years ago. I'm trying to remember when it started. Uh, maybe two years ago now. Um I, I had started a few little self-directed projects and I wanted to have a crack at doing a webcomic. I liked a lot of, there's a lot of good webcomics and a lot of interesting creators making good work. And I wanted to try and just do my own uh, pound shop version of that. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said, I don't have the best track record for seeing through my own elaborate schemes and plans. Um, so be a, like something very complicated illustration wise or maybe just like finishing a large book I've started reading I'm not very good at finishing what I started so around the same time I think in, in a vague idea of research and also just indulgence uh, I was reading a lot of internet uh, horror stories and you know sort of real life accounts of spooky things that happened to me and they were often short and a little uh, formless compared to a regular ghost story and they often more were simply just a sort of a spooky setup without a clear climax or punchline because that doesn't always happen in, in a, someone's real life story mm -hmm. and I think uh, that was probably where I jumped on the original idea of just doing each entry being a different setup rather than a, a full cohesive story so um yeah, it was just an easy way to get around uh, having to think, having to, to, to keep a story going was just to give up and start again each week. So each week there's just a figure uh, with unbeknownst to them or maybe just as they are realizing there's something rather unpleasant behind them uh, that's probably just about to uh, do, do them in. And Jeanette, why don't you describe it as you see it as a, as a reader? Well, the the word that was popping into my head was vignettes. Um, 
it, you just kind of capture this this like the stepping off point in a moment in time with your artwork in this particular series. It's just like this is about to get messy, <laughs> and then I like part of why I think this series is so powerful and why people are responding to it to it so much, uh, myself included, is because it is it is a comma instead of a here's the punchline. It's here's what. What do you think's about to happen? It's more of a question in a way. It's like, what's going to happen next? How bad is this going to go? And I like the fact that you, with this artwork, it's it's like you're just posing a bunch of questions with this one little moment scenario. It's I like it a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a fun it's a fun bit I think when people when you hear a fragment of a real life story to. Mm -hmm to fill in the blanks or when you see an element of something to fill in the blanks. Um, there's always a weird, it is a sort of, I mean, I tried to fob it off with just saying it's laziness, but it is something I was interested in, in the idea that you give people a sliver of something and it's different for each reader, but maybe there's a clear, obvious way most people will see it goes, but there could be slight differences in how different people would interpret it. And uh, and I think there's a there's a fun element to that as well. And Janet, why don't you just go ahead and pull one up? I just wanted to sure. get more descriptive for the audience sake because I know it's hard for them to understand completely what we're talking about. But um, so we have it's it's a single illustration. Some of them have some of them actually have uh, animation, and then there's like a sentence or two. Um, so Janet, why don't you do that? Describe one for the audience, and then read the actual uh, text underneath. Sure. So, uh, dear audience, something that will help you a ton is we will add either links or the specific ones that we're talking to in the show notes on the website, so you can actually see what we're talking about, which will help. Um, so there's one uh, I pulled up, Brian from Modala. So. Uh, M-D-O-L-L-A dot com. And uh, there's this one where you have a girl kind of looking over her shoulder at a mirror as her own reflection is reaching out towards her, looking very dead and very dead-eyed and oh, yeah, yeah. creepy. I think that was um, one of the very, very first ones. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think I, I think I tried to do about five or six all at once at the very start to give myself a little bit of a head start. So I think that was one of the very original five or six ones that I did. Uh, that might be what this uh, this article is, is just the original one. So um, un the caption under that one, your little one sentence story is, the mirror was already here when we moved in. And, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I like just like your, your image alone tells one story. It's like something is bad in that mirror. It is reaching out for her. Something bad is about to happen, but then saying the mirror was already there when we moved in just adds this whole other question, a series of questions to it. It's like, why is it there? Is it always that one person that was waiting? Or is it just reflecting the people who are in there and then reaching out? It's like, I like how you pose these questions with your with your pieces. Yeah, they're little like micro stories. They're little sort of breadcrumbs that people can take in different directions if they want to. But it's just the implication that there is more going on that is there for you to figure out but obviously the majority of the time there is no nothing more I mean sometimes mm -hmm. I do have a very solid idea of what the wider story is sometimes I just throw in things that I think will 
make people feel there's a wider story when I don't really have one myself. So, Have you ever um, found like one of these stories was established and you wanted to go back to those same characters at that same place? Mm, not like, I, I guess I can't think of one off the top of my head that that's happened. So I have mm -hmm. to answer no. Okay. I think when I'm doing them, I do enjoy some of the locations and setups and the ideas behind them. But then when I move on to another one a couple of weeks later, uh, I'm, I quickly forget about that and move on to the next scene. So there's so many of them now, I'm beginning to forget about some of them slightly. So it's nice to go back and, and look through them with a fresh pair of eyes and almost see them as uh, just uh, someone on the internet coming across them for the first time might see them. And then I get a little bit of like, oh, uh, I, I've probably forgotten what my wider story was. And so I get to sort of see them anew. So, yeah, they're fun. They're fun to revisit in, in that way. But I don't know if any of them directly um, I, I'm dying to turn into uh, like a, a 400 page epic. <laughs> That's fair. I was just curious. Um, yeah. Alex, you had a question. Yeah, I did. Uh, so to go off on a little bit of a tangent just for fun, uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your love of sloths and toast? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the toast thing, I think, was uh, something I just put. I like toast in my, in my, in my biography because it was always really awkward to have to write a, a biography in the, in, in the first person, the third person for, for the internet or for art exhibitions but sloats i do genuinely uh, have a weird affection for sloats for the last uh, 20 years or 25 years just because i saw them in a in a nature documentary and i thought they were bizarre and i started doodling them and uh that grew into me making a sort of a giant teddy bear sloth and uh doing some paintings about sloats and uh things like that they're just a very weird and slightly anthropomorphized creature, but also slightly creepy. They're they're very cute, but also slightly disturbing. In in there's something a little uncanny valley about them, and uh, they're just they're just a very kind of interesting and have a lot of weird possibilities. So I do some weird little illustration series about sloths on just lounging in a series of different chairs. <laughs> or a sloth in his by in his Victorian armchair surrounded by other creatures and just things like that. It was just a, a weird theme. Like for some reason I, I found pretty fruitful before, uh, before I just started drawing uh, spooks and ghouls instead. Jeanette really does love um, anthropomorphic characters. So when she saw your sloth illustration, she just was like, Oh my God, that's the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> it's true. They're just ones with little like Shriner hats, and it's just like, oh, sloths. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty cute. Like the, the sloth baby is just the most ridiculously cute thing. But then they even when as tiny little babies, they still have these weird giant hooked claws yeah. at the end of their sort of elbowless, dangling arms. They're just a very bizarre creature to have somehow evolved. It's like an they orangutan uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll write that one down. <laughs> An orangutan, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> um, so, 
what kind of I know you do some stuff on uh, like computer because of the animation, but what mediums do you like to work in for your artwork? Well, the behind you stuff, I'm very, uh, I'm pretty formulaic now. Where I'll usually do a rough layout in Photoshop, just drawing with a tablet, and then I'll print that out and then do a pencil drawing uh, using the rough. That's like much more detailed. I'll scan that in to Photoshop, but then all the colors, and the textures and stuff are just Photoshop. So things look like they're maybe like hand painted, but that's me totally cheating using uh, various Photoshop tricks and uh, sneaky maneuvers. So I have a series of like textures and layers and things like that, that I tend to play around with. To be honest, I sometimes spend so long with them, I'd probably be quicker just actually using watercolors, but uh, but I'm stuck in my ways now and I like to be able to press the undo button. Mm -hmm. So I do it all in Photoshop. I, I do the same thing. I kind of blend between like, I'm going to draw this one by like on paper this time and now kind of Photoshop. I do love the undo button, man. Every time I go back to traditional, I'm like, I'm going to do a real painting. I'm like, no. It's weird how you become used to be able, able to, to like press command Z for anything. I think mm -hmm. if I've been on the computer too long, uh, you know, I expect to be able to do it in, in, in like the kitchen when I'm making <laughs> dinner and things like, you know, like, everything everything should come with an undo button i agree <laughs> do you ever find yourself like you're in the middle of a conversation you're like i shouldn't have said that and your hand twitches in that hand motion <laughs> <laughs> with the two fingers of my left hand are just tw twitching uh, yep it's like undo 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 oh no <laughs> i should have saved the file before i said that <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> So, um, Brian, with, when you worked on Doctor Who doing illustrations uh, for character designs, what was the process? Was somebody giving you a lot of direction or they just gave you a general idea and then you would create it on your own? They're usually very, they have a very like, strict idea in mind. By, by the stage I'm involved ever with doing the concept designs for something like Doctor Who, they'll, they'll have gone through the script, they'll probably have been someone else will have picked out uh, like a mood board of various references and other designs they like the feel of. There'll be, you know, some sort of consideration of how will this be made? And therefore that will have uh, influenced to some degree the brief I'm set. So, you know, they, they won't ask for a 300 foot like man with tentacles and lasers coming out. If they're going to have to build it, it's just too much. Mm -hmm. So, um, so usually by the time I, I get, uh, get it, there's a, there's a fairly, fairly like clearly delineated ballpark I have to play within, but they're also like pretty fun. The other element, which is always a bit more frustrating is there's usually very little time. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a big pressure by the, by the time the, the uh, like the script has been picked through and I'm involved they're really pushed for probably a matter of weeks uh, before like this thing has to be on set. So the drawings I have to do are usually like the same day or maybe the next day if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. And if it all goes well, that's fine. If what I send in, uh, they go, oh, we like that, but a bit more like this, then you do a quick you know, half an hour change. And sometimes that can be a whole other different piece of the, of, of the work where it's, 
you go through so many different versions, tweaking and changing everything, that what you end up with at the end is totally different to what your original idea was. So there's a lot of different hands in, in the creation process. So I never feel particularly any great ownership over anything. The other big thing to remember, of course, is after I do some little rough that is signed off by the producers and the directors, it's then someone else's job to actually make the thing, which is clearly much more uh, labor intensive and, and high tech. Someone has to sculpt a rough and then make a cast. And, you know, there's just be huge work and skill done in, in doing a little my little rough drawing and turning that into a 3D thing. So they're often really the people where any all of the the design credits uh, goes to it's i yeah it, when you're working as in that kind of a a mode I, I do the same thing where it's like okay i did artwork have fun i don't know how you're gonna do it but good luck <laughs> um so with uh some of your other projects how what projects do you enjoy the experience the most like with that collaboration process Oh, with with the the concept work. Either the concept work or like some of the illustrations you've done for movie posters and and other things. Like out of all of the various types of illustration you've done, which ones uh, do you find the most satisfying? Um, I definitely enjoy you know the self directed stuff like the the behind yous and the, the silly slope drawings and things like that. But it is rewarding when you're working to a brief or with someone else and you can still come out at the end enjoying what was produced. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it can be a bit disheartening when, you know, you're getting paid for something, but you, you, you don't feel in any way proud of uh, a finished product. That's, that's kind of bad. You still have some sort of vague notions of being, you know, a creative person and, and an artist. So it's nice when, you can find the balance of doing something that does is a is to a commissioned purpose, but you still uh, feel some sort of ownership and creativity out of. I think with my own self-directed stuff, I think it'd be bad if I wasn't getting some sort of creative satisfaction out of it. Because why would I be doing it in the first place? So uh, yeah, I, I think the stakes are are less when you're doing stuff for yourself. So it's not mm -hmm. surprising. You get the satisfaction there, but it's more rewarding when you can work to someone else's demanding brief and still get uh, some sort of satisfaction out of it. Even if it's just a, a small little illustration or something, if they're pleased with it and you're pleased with it, it's it's very nice. It's a, it's a good feeling when you can actually find that happy medium between the two. Yeah, definitely. So, Brian, like with your um, Look Behind You series, there's such a strong sense of uh, an ongoing story there, even though it's kind of a snapshot. Do you approach each of these, those pieces as uh, almost like a full story in your head or do you just approach them as a quick snapshot like the uh, those, you know, uh, happen to me stories? Probably. Probably more the, the, the second version. I think I usually start off. With the very early ones, there were maybe sometimes I wanted to do a type of creature. I just wanted to draw something that that was fun to draw. As they wound on, and I was more, it was harder to like naturally just come up with good scenarios. Uh, I think the thing I would hit on usually was a strange location or 
a strange setup, like someone getting up in the middle of the night and going to the fridge. It's something people can identify with, but is also very easily segued into maybe, you know, the your, your hair is standing up for no reason and feeling a little awkward. So hitting on little moments like that is good. But then sometimes it just goes back to me wanting to draw something wacky and, and, and crazy for fun. I think the, the, the surrounding story, as, as much as it ever exists in my head, often kind of comes together as I'm, as I'm like four or five steps already in. Uh, so I don't usually try and plot out a full story and then take a snippet of it. Mm-hmm. I just start with a snippet and a, a story builds on either side of it a little bit. Sometimes there's practically no story more in my head than what you see in the illustration. I'm just uh, I'm just pretending that that I know more know more of what's going on. I I think you pretend very well. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret is to pretend well. Uh, yeah, like, like in all walks of life, just put, like pretend like you know more than than you do. Yep, and everyone thinks you do. They're like, wow, <laughs> look at that person. They know exactly what they're doing. But now I've told everyone on a podcast. <gasps> So uh, the gig is up. So it's okay. Now we all feel a lot better because we were all faking it too. <laughs> oh, good, good. It's nice to hear that. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned that you gathered some inspiration from like creepy stories on the internet. Were they creepy pasta specifically, or just kind of a, a uh, variety? I haven't read like a, an unending archive of creepypastas, but I think I've probably read a, a few mm-hmm. of the kind of famous ones. Um, trying to think now of any famous ones. I can't, like, they're hard to remember the names. There's a really old one of, like, there's the caver, uh, you know, a sort of a real-life account of someone going caving and mm-hmm. finding strange things. I think that's one of the earliest ones. I think it's almost... I think the original account was on like a GeoCities page or something like that. So um, I, I think it, I think some of the stories, to my mind, aren't that great. I think the ones I preferred were, were like Reddit threads where people were sharing their like real, and I'm doing air quote symbols as I say that, real life accounts of, you know, creepy encounters or supernatural like... Uh, strange events and they're often interesting because amongst some of them are definitely fleshed out by by people just looking for good reactions but i think some of them in there are are pretty truthful and the real life accounts just have a sort of formlessness to them they haven't been polished in the way that a a ghost story might be and and there's something enjoyable and there's a different type of chill you get from something when you you don't have a reliable storytelling formula that you can read the beats of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if something is set up in the first half of a story, you're not that surprised when it returns in the, the third act. But when you're reading some guy's real life account of just the weird house he used to live in, it's harder to tell where it's going to go. So do you follow the uh, No Sleep podcast Reddit forum? I don't. I, I I've heard of it. Uh, I, I should I should uh, listen through all of them, but I, I think I've read. I think I might have listened to one or two. Um, there's one. There's definitely one or two stories that I heard, uh, like narrated, mm-hmm. um, but I can never remember the names of any of them as well, which is probably, probably <laughs> a bad sign. Well, they all kind of blend together. They do blend together. I like think a lot of people 
touch on similar ideas or maybe one is successful and a lot of people try and do their version of them. It's interesting how they work. They, it has gone back to, uh, you, you know, almost sort of pre-printing press storytelling things where no one has credit over lots of these stories and the stories are told and retold and then change slightly in each retelling. So uh, it, it's it's gone. It's an interesting, strange new field that the internet has created. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we went back to oral storytelling except for using the internet but it's it's we even though we're writing online it's become so conversational that yeah it's just like it's like a big game of telephone for a lot of these yeah um, <laughs> and people will seem to add to stories and uh you know like not not in not in terms of just adding a, a new sentence but just adding a whole extra uh, and then next week, this happened after the end and things like that. I, I, I greatly enjoy, what's the, oh, I can't remember the name. Is it SCP? Is, is that the name? Is that Strike a Bell? It's a, it's a website where there's a lot of uh, kind of files of strange creatures that are kept in this uh, uh, sort of uh, un, nondescript government facility. And uh -huh. each file documents you know, the strange qualities of this creature. And basically anyone can go to this site and make up their own one and, and throw it into the pile. But then other people will pick up existing ones and add their own little, uh, you know, next entry of the, of the, the files for them. So the good ones on that site are, are very enjoyable, but then there's thousands on it. So um, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you pick out some of the weaker ones, you can see why the good ones are good, I guess, like, <laughs> like anything. But uh, but it is an interesting, weird little new, relatively new scene, things like that, and with all the creepy pastas, because people are interested maybe in the simply the payoff of their story being well received mm -hmm. rather than uh, their story being published and bought, it, and people are willing to just enjoy the story for what it is rather than feel some sort of great ownership over it. Yeah. I guess as long as someone hears it, that's more what matters, it seems, lately. Um, yeah. So what other artists or writers or movies do you find yourself getting a lot of inspiration from? Uh, oh, wow. Uh, well, I mean, I definitely love a lot of comic books although i'm probably not as well read as i should be and um, i think with like on the spookier side of things although it's more of a fun spooky i loved all of mike mcnola's hellboy stuff mm -hmm. and uh the the bprd stuff that kind of led off that I, I back going back even further um um when i was younger i loved like a lot of 2000 ad and the kind of weird, uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek, like uh, sadistic uber violence of like Judge Dredd and the ABC Warriors and things like that. That's going real far back, I think. Um, then later, like pre pre Preacher and Sandman and all your regular sort of 90s comic book geek things. And uh, more recently with horror stuff, I've probably 
caught up a bit on horror films. I don't know if I was ever as well viewed in horror films as as someone who says they're they're a horror fan should be. But um, I'm trying to think of more interesting recent ones. Oh, there's a, there's a woman, Emily Carroll. She writes some quite good uh, kind of spooky as opposed to all that gross or, or violent horror. She's more sort of haunted and little horror stories. I think you can find a lot of them online and she has some collections out. Um, what else is a good spooky things? I mean, there's a lot of good, weird indie horror being made these days. Um, you know, like you hear the same few mentioned over and over again, but I do actually think they're all pretty good. Things like It Follows and The Babadook and Get Out recently was really good, very enjoyable. Uh, I think there is there's a lot of low-level fun stuff with uh, with horror in, in film being made these days. That's good. And then on the written side, uh, I loved H.P. Lovecraft and... M. R. James, the the old, uh, very, very English upper crust uh, classic ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't know. And then you've got collections by people like put together like like Mark Nixon, our, our mutual friend, The Shadows at the Door, one of of contemporary uh, short horror fiction, things like that. So it, it's all going on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you'd actually be a really big fan of the uh, animated film Heavy Metal. I don't know if you've seen that when you're growing oh, up. Yeah, I think I, I watched bits of it years and years ago, maybe on a on a poor VHS copy, as as all all things should be viewed. It adds to the experience. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, uh, Brian, what what scares you personally? What's what's your personal fears that you also draw upon with your within your work? Um, I'm not, despite everything I've just said, I'm probably not a great believer in the supernatural in, in loads of the, the broader ways. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be particularly religious. And I, I think I'm in with the behind you things. I, I don't deny my ability to be creeped out for no reason and, uh, to still be, to still jump at horror films. I don't know if I have, if I would logically say, I think a house is haunted or things like that, but I still think there is some sort of inbuilt uh, ability to be unsettled. So I don't know if that's more, the, the fear there is maybe like a fear of lack of control of your own uh, mental reactions to things. Maybe that's a scarier idea than there actually being a ghost there that's that's making you afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, so no, uh, no, no clowns or creepy next door neighbors. Nothing no, like that. Like I'm quite, quite quite claustrophobic. I don't like being stuck in crowds and uh, stuck in small places. But uh, that's probably because I spend all my time sitting in a small room alone uh, at the computer, as opposed to any sort of gut-wrenching fear of uh, murderous clowns. I mean, every, everyone's just for afraid of murderous clowns. I don't think that's a, a particular fear. I think that's a logic, logical thing. Uh, you know. You don't know why they're smiling. It's a problem. <laughs> Anybody who has to paint a smile on their face with actual red paint, that's a, that's a worrying sign. You know? <laughs> 
Um, so beyond your your Tumblr, I know you also have a Patreon for Look Behind You, and then you do a lot of freelance illustration. And just as one artist to another, how are how do you manage to balance your like everything that you're doing? Uh, oh well, I mean, with 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 terrible difficulty, <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> like I, I not as if I have a huge amount on sometimes, and I still struggle to get you know the two things done. So. Um, I guess when I when I when I don't have stuff on, I feel obliged to try and do personally led stuff like um, behind you and stupid slow drawings and things like that. And then when I do have stuff on, there is uh, there's no time for anything else. I just have to worry about a deadline. So it's it's not like it's not any great ability as much just. Um, the position I've I've somehow stuck myself in trying to balance them, trying to balance it up. Are there any um, tools that you use to try to stay organized? Like I find myself using not just Google Calendar, but like an actual book where I write everything down, <laughs> day planner style as well. I, I did have a, a, a physical like calendar on the wall I used to write on, but I found... I didn't look at it enough, you know, I'd write something on it and then never look at it again. So uh, I use, I just have like um, low res files in Photoshop all always open in the background, one being a calendar, one being a giant to-do list that I delete something off once I've done. And that's my only vaguely efficient uh, self-organization thing is that uh, if, if I have a word written in front of my eyes saying, you know, uh, job, then that's the only way my brain might have any chance of being reminded that I have to do something. Didn't work today, though. Uh, <laughs> I was supposed to be talking to both of you an hour earlier, and despite it being written on this list, uh, I only noticed uh, noticed it at 7 o'clock rather than 6 o'clock, so... Maybe maybe I shouldn't be recommending this system. <laughs> no, it's perfectly fine. We I, I have to end up we're both like that too because of oh, our yeah. schedules and sometimes we're up to super late and we just forget because of our work and writing and illustrating and all that. So I tend to will put like like five different alarms on my phone to remind me of stuff. Just, important things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything super important. Yeah, it's hard it's, yeah. it's hard to it's also hard once you've been reminded to do something, I find to start doing it. Mm -hmm. if, if even if you're aware of it, particularly if it's coming up with something creative uh you know if it's actually a drawing or an illustration just sometimes it's just you're not in the the right headspace and mm -hmm. nothing's coming even if you're sitting there as you should be at a desk with a pencil and a piece of paper and uh i don't know it's a it's a hard sometimes you just have to force yourself into into being in the right mode but sometimes that that's harder than it sounds it, it really can be. <laughs> and, and even when there is a pressing deadline, sometimes you're just like, you know what? I need to, I need to leave. I need to leave this room. I need to go yeah. for a walk or something. Well, I find myself <laughs> doing the dishes when oh, yeah. I have like two hours left to do something else. But I've gone, you know, I go, well, the dishes still have to be done. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's a nice achievable task okay. that I can do. Uh, as opposed to doing this other thing I have to use more than 5% of my brain for. <laughs> and uh, do you promote your work like through social media? And if so, what do you, what have you found effective for you? Well, I, I have a Facebook 
I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, and things. I'm probably, te- admittedly, I'm terrible at, at self-promotion because, um, sorry, that's my phone. Uh, just, I don't update things enough. And I'm probably, uh, probably if I think I should post something up, it's probably two days later that I do it as opposed to just naturally, constantly posting things to Instagram. Um, I just, I don't know. I miss, I must have missed that day in, uh, in like 2000 and something when everyone agreed that they were going to just post constantly online. And if you saw something interesting, you would Instagram it. I'd see something interesting and then four hours later go, oh, I probably should have taken a photo of that. That would have, that would have been a good Instagram post. I would have got loads of likes for that, but I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to me. So, um, yeah, I think that the, with the behind you stuff, when I started out, I just posted them on Tumblr without any sort of promotion. And I, I put in little hashtags saying spooky and creepy and hoped some people would come across them. And there was just a gen, a, a slow build where if, if one got 30 likes at the start, I was really chuffed. And I'd look at who those 30 people were and I'd go, oh, wow, these people like my my thing. And some of them would repost it. And then the next time it might be 40 likes. And after one or two of them, I think one big one being that uh, one with the jigsaw piece mm-hmm. you mentioned, for some reason that got shared and shared again. And, you know, it got 10,000 or 20,000 likes or wow. something. And then suddenly the next one, you know, was automatically getting hundreds. And so I'm happy to have to have let it just uh, let them get out there naturally. It seems like uh, an easier way for me. Definitely the work speaks for itself, but it helps when somebody who has a decent following finds your work and then like, oh, wow, oh, my God, this is amazing and shares it with all their friends. That's definitely very helpful. Definitely. Yeah, there's been a few good, I guess. Neil Gaiman reposted one once, and uh, Joe Hill has reposted them a bunch of times. Who uh, I, I've I've been in touch with Joe. Joe's real nice, and uh, there's a he does a he put me in touch with people at IDW Comics. So mm-hmm. there is a there is a collection uh, in the works of a bunch of the of the behind you stuff, and uh, we're gonna very kindly. Joe's gonna do the introduction. So uh, I don't think I don't I think you're getting a, an announcement there. I don't know if I put I don't think I've officially said that on online yet. So so there you go. Well, congratulations! It's awesome. Yeah. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, it'll probably be September. I think is the is the target uh, release date. So nice. I think the idea being, then there's a month and then Halloween mm-hmm. is out, and that's a good time to try and flog a book full of ghosts. Mm-hmm. And didn't you get to work with Joe Hill for like an illustration for a comic book or something like that? Yeah, around the same time, uh, Joe's long-running, amazing horror, fantasy, uh, drama, everything comic, uh, Lock and Key, mm-hmm. which he which he does with Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, that had ostensibly finished up and all been tied up, but he's they've been going back and doing little one-off stories set within the the wider universe of, of, of the book. And uh, there was a one coming out last December, which I did a, an alternate cover for. So they had about 
three or four alternate covers and I got to do that. I'd never done a comic book cover before. It was very satisfying. I got to go into a comic book shop and say, have you got this comic in? I did the cover and then they didn't have it in, but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it was still nice to get to go in and say that anyway. It's like, hey, do you have my comic? <laughs> <laughs> then again, that does seem like totally egotistical now that, now that I say it like that. I think it's better at the time. I didn't want that. <laughs> I I feel like uh, that would be just like a good a good uh, ego boost, regardless of how you approached it. <laughs> okay. I need I needed a good ego boost, and uh, and that definitely provided one. But uh, nice. Yeah, I'd love to do more. I must I must try and get on that and and do a few more comic covers and things. I definitely have some. There was a few longer form stories that were being they were in my head at the same time that I started behind you mm -hmm. and um I've never gone back and actually made them and I've been meaning to like for whatever 18 months now so I I, I must I must get my acts together and actually actually try writing something that's not one one picture long and uh, and take it from there well, when you do approach something bigger, I feel like you'll have a very good uh, base to work off of. Because working on these little, tiny, bite-sized ones can kind of train you to be a little bit less intimidated by a bigger story. I think. Yeah, it's 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 a good way of of doing. I mean, originally, I I, I for quite a while kept it up of doing religiously one a week. Mm -hmm. uh, that fell apart a bit when the book kind of started to come together and I had to put some behind you time towards stuff that wasn't going to be a, a new behind you, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think when you do one, and I usually get one done in, in like a day, I usually allow myself like one day a week to put one together. But, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge amount, but when you look back and there's 50 or now, I think I'm working on number 86 now and wow. uh, you know and there's a big mound of them it's like oh I should really have been doing one thing a week for for years because it builds up quite quickly so mm -hmm. I have to add a few other things that I do small pieces of slow and steadily and, and build them up it's just satisfying seeing that all stack up <laughs> I do the same thing with a series called Horror Haikus Day and I'm at about a year year and a half of those weekly art slash poetry posts and it's just like look at all the things i did i'm really cool. proud of myself um so i i know exactly what you're talking about it does feel good to chip away at something be like whoa all of a sudden this huge thing yeah it's all it's all the little little steps get you to where you're going i think when you have some sort of project in your mind i i, I kind of i see myself doing it in terms of right, I lock myself in a room for three weeks and like just get this done. Mm -hmm. But that's never the way anything gets done. It's just you just take little small chunks of it and keep on chipping away until eventually it's it's done. So Brian, where can people in our audience find you and your work? Uh, well, my, my like portfolio site is briancoldrick.com. Uh, there's not many Brian Coldricks in the world. Um, and then... There's, I have a Tumblr, which is briancoldrick.tumblr.com. Uh, the, the whole Behind You series 
fortunately behind you .tumblr.com was taken so uh, it's the hairs on the back of your neck .tumblr.com but there's links just from uh, from my main site and then I'm on Facebook as Brian Coldrick artist and um, on Twitter I'm Sloth Hoffman which is the name of the Sloth I draw a lot and I think I'm Sloth Hoffman on Instagram as well mm -hmm. and there's just there's too many of these sites. I have a, a, a tapastic site, which is a, a, a webcomic site where I also post behind you. Um, I don't know, all, all over, too many things. I've got about like 10 different inboxes these days. Mm -hmm. And I, somehow I just miss every communication I'm supposed to see. <laughs> so you have to learn how to juggle, then go back and, and answer your emails. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there should be some device that just puts them all in the same place, but uh, I don't know. Someone's probably invented that, but I'm too lazy to go out and find. <laughs> I, I know there was a thing called like a, a like a lens site that kind of you know captures everything. But you use what do you use for that to kind of collect everything that you're oh, posting? Oh, I just forward everything to Gmail. <laughs> no, no, the the uh, the the social media thing you use that kind of uh, connects oh. to everything. Um the the thing he's talking about is. Um, when I'm scheduling social media posts uh, so that I can actually promote some of the stuff that we're doing, I was using this thing called Hootsuite. Um, oh, I've heard of that, yeah. Which was great until they're like, nope, you can't do it for free now. And I'm like, but I still don't have money, so I guess oh. I won't do this. And then I was experimenting with other ones like Buffer and... Uh, what I actually figured out was Tumblr was the easiest thing to schedule things on because you just add it to a queue, say, I want it posted in this, you know, sequence. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's quite done. good. Yeah, it's <laughs> a twice, and it was, it was, even I could work out how to use it, which it's is the greatest ador endorsement. It's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so out of, out of all of the scheduling, like, social media things, I recommend Tumblr. <laughs> Yeah, Tumblr was, I mean, I think I might have been a little late to the bandwagon, but uh, I definitely was. <laughs> it's a pretty good, weird little community of creative types mm -hmm. and every random uh, pastime under the sun. Uh, and people all tend to be quite nice compared to, well, I mean, maybe very, uh, very like, Con con overly conversational in, in, in about things that annoy them, mm -hmm. but not necessarily saying that you annoy them. Right. Is, is a way, if that, if that's a nice way of saying, yeah, talking about Tumblr. So it's, it's been a good, uh, weird little site to to just start getting, building more uh, attention for the, the webcomic on. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you again for taking some time out of your day to talk to us. This is really awesome. And and just thanks like, so much for having me on. It was it was wonderful. Thanks for the invite. And apologies again for my tardiness. <laughs> it's okay. It actually made me feel really good because like I do this to people all the time, oh, all good. the time. Yes. Like I have a calendar, uh, like directly in front of me at all times at my desk where I write down every single thing I have to do, and I still miss things. <laughs> You're like, oh, I was good. supposed to call someone at noon yesterday. Oops. Or, you know, it just, it, talking to you just made me feel a lot better about uh, my journey as an illustrator so far. Because I've started, I came to illustration from filmmaking, and now I'm like, okay, I'm an illustrator. What am what, I doing? <laughs> what, what, what's next? I know, it's a weird, yeah. but uh, yeah, to take take solace in how, how disorganized I am. <laughs> uh, 
you know, if, 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 if I'm business organized, you're allowed to forget the odd call yourself. Yeah, it does actually make me feel a lot better. <laughs> as horrible as that might sound. I'm just like, oh, good. I'm not a total outsider as far as that No goes. one really knows what they're doing. Everyone just p- pretends like they do. Yeah. That's the, sec- that's the secret like lesson of the world. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been The Ninth Story with Brian Coldrick. If you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at Ninth Story Podcast. And if you want to read or see the artwork that we are creating, you can do so on HorrorMade.com. And extra thanks to Rode Microphones. That's right. The reason that you can hear our voices is because of the sultry, delicious things that Rode Microphones does. And you can check out more of their stuff on Rode.com. R-O-D-E.com. And please go check out ShadowsAtTheDoor.com. They are an excellent collection of short horror stories. Uh, Lots of folks on the internet that we know get plenty of inspiration from them. And you can also submit stories to them as well, I believe. Correct? Well, you will be able to. Currently, the Uh site is under construction. So if you're listening to this in the future, go check it out. If you're listening to this shortly after we post this podcast, you're going to have to wait and uh, maybe just go buy the book instead. Yeah. (laughs) We just got that in the mail and it's excellent. It is the new anthology series shadows of the door and it is just a beautiful piece of work with great illustrations super creepy super fun amazing it's super heavy so it's like dense it's a dense book you probably you need two hands to hold it you do that's that's the thought i was going in i was i was like i don't know maybe you need tentacle arms to hang on to that but really you can hold on to it with human arms you just need both arms Mm -hmm. not baby arms not baby arms so um, the Easter egg of, of the week, mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that it is coming out shortly after Easter, uh, is if you post either on the Facebook group or on Twitter to one of us, the word albatross is the secret code word of being a super secret awesome person. So albatross is the word. <laughs> or <laughs> tweet at us. If you have some creepy egg-based illustrations you want to share. Ooh, I like that. Or, Humpty or, Dumpty is going like to have some fan art. Some demented bunnies or something eating eggs in their innards and stuff. That's fun. Yum. Hello. Welcome to Skype call testing service. <clears throat> After the beep, please record a message. message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Once upon a time, there was a microphone. And that microphone was really, really... Made out of cheese. And that's... Not very good. If you... Want to record sound. And if... Uh, you're hungry. But albatross. Anyway, have a good one!